Hello everyone, welcome to my show, Karib Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight world-class Asian entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, and leaders who provide insights from their personal journey to inspire you. And this is your host, Priyanka Komla. For our listeners, we're super excited on our 58th episode of Karib Startup Podcast, which is triple streaming live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks so much for your loyal support, and we really appreciate all the encouragement that we get from each one of you. And do remember to continue to subscribe to us by following me, Priyanka Komla, on LinkedIn for your LinkedIn Live notifications, as well as our Career Startup Podcast page on LinkedIn. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, at Pod Startup, and your favorite podcast streaming platforms. On today's episode, I'm so happy and honored to bring in somebody who comes from a different walk of life. Well, there are three main reasons why you should listen to this podcast, because I have an amazing guest who is a reporter with TechCrunch, one of the largest tech news channels here in the US. And I'm going to unveil who my special guest is. Hello. Hey, Natasha. Hi. I don't know if I'm C-suite or a leader, but <laughs> hopefully I don't disappoint and, and can be useful to your guests. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Natasha. You're a rising star in the field of tech. And <laughs> Thank you do amazing you. work to help amplify the stories of C-suite leaders, venture capitalists, and startups. So what better way than bringing you onto the show to provide a platform to hear perspectives behind the scenes as a reporter? Yes, exactly. No, it definitely is one of the best parts of my job is that I get to talk to smart people, report on it, and then you know pretend that I'm the smartest one of them all. <laughs> That's amazing. And you're definitely a rising star in the field of Thank you. reporting. So to our listeners, three reasons why you should be listening to this podcast. Well, you want to know the secret sauce behind writing newsworthy articles or building your personal brand? Well, you're here in the right place. Have you wondered what does it take to be a reporter in the field of startups or venture capitalists, especially working at TechCrunch? The most fascinating aspect for me is, as an Asian, as a women of color writer, what kind of lens can we bring to the table when we author articles? And I could look no further than Natasha Maskerhands to be part of the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, I am an open book, so bring on the questions. Open to answer anything. Thank you, Natasha. So here we are tuning live. She's from New Jersey and I'm here in Washington, D.C. It's been so stormy and windy. So we're super excited to see how Mother Nature is going to play into our live broadcast today. It's funny, as you know, for anyone just tuning in before when we were backstage, we were both comparing notes on how it's so stormy. But the moment the podcast started, the sun has broken out in, in gray New Jersey. <laughs> and so maybe um, I'll be lucky. But, you know, there's been tornado warnings and, and hurricane warnings. So who knows? You know, but it's always nice to give it a try, right? You know, that's that's the best part about reporting. We do whatever best we can. Yes, exactly. We 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 try to do the best. Thank you. So... To our listeners, if you're tuning in live, please let us know where you're tuning in from and your name. We would love to say a hello to you. And we actually have a live listener who just dropped in a quick comment. Hey, Ritu. Ritu Sahib is from New York as well. And she's an architect and was my previous guest on this show. So it's always nice to hear from Ritu. Awesome. Hi, Ritu. Thanks, Ritu, for joining us. And we have an amazing free mentoring session that Natasha is going to provide to one of our lucky listeners. So keep those questions and comments coming and let's see who that lucky winner would be. Now, Natasha, I want to start with your interesting background. So you majored as, uh, you know, you majored in journalism and here you are having worked with, uh, you know, Crunchbase uh, and now with TechCrunch. 
how do you see life as a journalist? It is, it's crazy. It is um, a way to process what has been probably the wildest year of, of most of our lives and will be the wildest year of um, our lives going forward, looking back. So it's been a really great way to just process and understand as everything kind of gets thrown at us. And um, I think as a journalist specifically, you know, I started journalism, I, I tell two different stories and people ask why journalism and, and you know, how did you get here? And I, I say one side was when I was younger, I would always write poetry and creative stories. And my parents who um, are both Indian would say, um, you know, you need to do something a little bit more professional. And so I just thought like the first thing that came to mind was, okay, journalism seems like a more professional way to creatively write. Um, and so I joined newspaper club in sixth grade and, and kind of have stuck with it then. But um, as time has gone on, I've, I've kind of realized that, you know, the true and not joking reason that being a journalist, journalist is kind of what gets me up every morning is that there's this really unique kind of responsibility you get as a journalist for people to listen to you and actually take you seriously that so few people get. And it's an equalizer. I, I get to talk to, you know, CEOs with, you know, trillions more than me, but I get to, you know, share their stories and amplify voices of people who don't, who have far less than me. And it's, it's, I think it's a really interesting place to, to play, especially, you know, now as everyone's at home. That's very true. Well, you were the editor-in-chief of Bridgewater Raritan newspaper, The Proler, back in high school. <laughs> oh my gosh, Yes. <laughs> So you kind of knew that you wanted to be a journalist from a very young age. Yeah. So, you know, sixth grade, joined newspaper club. I remember when I went to um, high school, there was only one journalism class you took. I took it my first um, quarter of freshman year and then, you know, was so sad I had nothing left to do and, and kind of helped bring the newspaper along. Um, and then kind of from there, I, I went to Boston University and, and studied journalism as well. That's pretty cool. So at TechCrunch, you cover edtech startups, the next generation of founders and investors, you know, early stage startups and venture capital trends. Tell us a little bit more about what does a day look like in the life of Natasha? Yeah, I mean, this is a weird week, right? I think that everyone and their mother is trying to get their news out between the election and the and Thanksgiving and the holidays. And so this is a weird time to be a journalist only just because you're being inundated with a ton of news. Um, I'm going to be working through the holidays. So to anyone listening, please feel free to pitch me during the slow in between weeks. Um, but no, I usually cover, you know, a mix of breaking news, feature stories and, um, you know, startup financings as they raise money through venture capitalists. Um, and I think, you know, more specifically with TechCrunch, since I joined back in March, kind of two days into the pandemic, I think I had one day in the office before it closed down. Um, I've been reporting a lot on education and I, I started writing about education the day that Stanford closed its classes. And so I've kind of traveled alongside the entire boom of ed tech and, and I'm hoping to kind of cover it through what can either be a bust or a, um, you know, any sort of iteration as education kind of evolves past pandemic remote learning Zoom school. <laughs> And I'm so glad you've picked on this topic of education because that's like a must-have part of our life. And you brought in the question about the pandemic, you know, how people are juggling with, uh, you know, homeschooling their kids, trying to take care of them to make sure the education doesn't get uh, in the way of the pandemic. Yeah, I think that it is 
a really, I think, emotional field to cover, unlike tech that you know, maybe is only built for 1% of people or, you know, the San Francisco worker education is just a global emotional conversation. And to cover it is, is, you know, it's a huge responsibility, but it's also, wow, I'm realizing what a disconnect there is between um, sometimes Silicon Valley and, and a public school teacher in New York. It, it, it sounds obvious in retrospect, but it wasn't until I reported it that I really understood how, um, you know, how much more needs to be said. And just because the coronavirus has kind of put a spotlight on education, I'm hoping to kind of cover it long after this pandemic hopefully ends. That's pretty amazing. And I'm so glad we have writers like you who are passionate about bridging the gap between education and the society. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's like I said, I think it's a cool responsibility to get people to listen to me. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll always try and do my best with elevating, you know, the right voices. That's amazing. Now, tell us about TechCrunch. To a layperson, how would you explain TechCrunch? TechCrunch is a really special place. So I am, I think, the newest addition to the team. So I'm about eight or nine months into my job there. Um, but I would say that it's unlike every newsroom I've ever worked in before. Um, before TechCrunch, I was at Crunchbase News, the Boston Globe, the San Francisco Chronicle, um, and also my hometown newspaper in, in here in Jersey. And I think those were all really special places. But TechCrunch, I think, is is so diverse because of the innate hustle and, and nerdiness. Um, you know, there at any given moment, you can find someone talking about space, about the future of automotives, about, um, you know, the latest VC drama. There's such a wide span of interests. And the um, trust that our editors have for us, and I swear I'm not being paid to say this, but I, I really do think the trust our editors have. And we're not going to tell you you have to write X, Y, and Z. We're just going to trust that you will, um, I think, makes such a big difference because it just shows that we're all kind of like entrepreneurial in what we like to write about and all really, you know, hungry and curious and, and crazy to a healthy degree. <laughs> That's very true. Now tell me this, you meet a lot of C-suite executives and venture capitalists as part of your job. What is one thing you've learned from them, just observing them as part of writing about them? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I'm trying to think of one big lesson. Maybe maybe I'll give two as a small sure, cop out. <laughs> um, I think one is that, and I wish I knew this when I entered college, um, it's just people are really smart, but they don't know everything that their title kind of has the connotation of. And so I think that I consistently meet amazing executives and VCs who are really smart, but they're not as as scary or or you know un, untouchable as as their title might make them see seem. And so I think there is like this really big human side of tech that I think is growing. And I'm always really happy to to understand and be a part of kind of bringing these people you see on Twitter, or on CNBC down to the real world and, and trying to like humanize them a little bit. And so I, I, I kind of say, I, w I wish I knew, that, knew this in college because, you know, you, you get nervous when you have a really big CEO on your calendar when you're starting out as a journalist. Um, and I think it's your job to disarm them and to make them feel like they can trust you because they should be able to trust you, not as a friend, but as someone who will listen to their story and doesn't need to use talking points. And so I think that's kind of maybe been the biggest takeaway. The second is I think that... Um, I think empathy goes a long way when talking to people in um, in startups and tech because so much of networking in any career really is transactional. And I think, you know, 
I've had to be paused by an interviewee a couple of times, but being like, whoa, whoa, before we get into questions, like, let's just catch up as humans. And I think um, it makes a huge difference to, to, to enter those conversations, no matter what stage you are in, in your profession with a little bit of empathy. Um, and I think it changes the entire conversation. You bring up a very human point about connecting with people, right? And that's something that I can totally relate with. I've interviewed C-suite leaders, you know, you know, people from different aspects of life. And even you, when I reached out, right, you always have this persona that, you know, somebody going to, uh, you know, take time to help you in your endeavor to spotlight their stories and see how approachable you were. It's just like making that first connection. Yeah, no, I th and I think like Twitter, I think we've obviously we connected through Twitter. I think Twitter has probably been like the biggest career changer for me. It's how I got my job at TechCrunch. I remember I DM'd the editor in chief um, off the whim, just asking if he wanted to grab coffee. Um, and he kind of responded a few months later. And then a few months after that, I was hired. And obviously, it wasn't as simple as a DM, like I had to prove myself. But I think Twitter has been such an interesting spot to live in. Um, sometimes too much, but it is. Um, it's again, it's it's a place where people are willing to give free advice and you can learn so much. I think I've learned more on Twitter than I have from undergrad and I loved my school. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating observation, right? I mean, the world of social media is definitely a powerful tool if we are able to leverage it in the right way. Totally. Now to our live listeners who have tuned in, a handful of them have tuned in, uh, please drop a quick note through the comment box on who you are and where you're tuning from. So it gives a chance to Natasha to know who her listeners are. And also drop in a question or a comment to win a free mentoring session, which is exclusive to our Career Startup Podcast listeners with Natasha, where you can learn more about how do you break into the field of journalism? Or maybe if you're a startup or a venture capitalist, how do you talk to the press to leverage your stories in the right way? Or as someone who's planning to build your personal brand, get some tips and exclusive advice from Natasha. So put your thinking hats on for those exclusive mentoring session with Natasha. Natasha, something I wanted to ask deeper uh, into this, uh, you know, get more deeper into the story is, as an Asian, as a woman of color, how do you see working as a journalist? Is it a level playing field for somebody like you? You know, there's definitely the horror stories, not at my current job or honestly, even in the past few years um, of, of being kind of looked at as other, but I definitely do think in the beginning there was a weird tokenization when I was first breaking into journalism years ago. Um, I remember at one point I, um, I, I, you know, I had this unique tendency in my editor, my current editor will tell you now and laugh at it, um, to like use weird words and phrasings. And, you know, it's an inside joke with my friends too. But I think that's honestly just a quirk of who I am. It's not, I was born in New Jersey and I think that obviously English is my first language. Anyways, um, in my first internship as a journalist, um, I remember the editor kind of bringing me into his office at the end of the day, being like, um, giving me kind of my review about my internship. And he was like, listen, you know, I get that English isn't, you know, your first language, but so I hope like, you know, going forward, you can start refining your language a little bit more. And I just had to kind of, I remember not really saying anything and kind of leaving and only getting it a few years later that that was kind of just inherently racist and and believing that I wasn't, it, it, and it's fine if I wasn't born in the United States, but to assume I wasn't because I had a different word choice, I think um, was weird. And, and that same editor also made me kind of listen to an Indian person with an Indian accent, trying to decipher it. Um, and and I think that also kind of ended up being a little bit 
off base. And so there are these weird moments where as a female, you're, t you're told, you know, did you get that story? Cause you batted your pretty little eyelashes, um, that you, you know, are reminded that you're not the majority in the field, but I think it's changing. And I think like so many of the journalists I looked up to and continue to look up to, um, making room for people like me um and elevating my voice and giving me opportunity like the kind of opportunity i have at TechCrunch is 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 really key to like changing that you know it's it's interesting to see how the field is changing and i'm so glad with you breaking the barriers you can lead to better opportunities with the next generation of folks who want i hope to so i hope so i think like you know the best feeling in the world is getting a dm from an indian female journalist who wants advice because it just means that in some way they found me, they see some sort of entrance for them to break into the field. And I think that I will always pick up those calls because people picked up those calls for me. Um, the reason I got my job at the San Francisco Chronicle was because um, a woman named Trisha Thadani, who's still there and does amazing work, responded to my cold DM on Twitter. And I think that like that, it just goes such a far way. And it's not like novel advice, but it does like, you know, it's where I get joy. That's amazing. And to all our listeners, uh, Natasha is very approachable. So follow her on Twitter and DM her to get to know more about her. And she has some interesting tidbits as fellow Asians who are trying to break barriers in our own different fields. Yeah, I think one of my favorite activities to do is, is, is you know, tweet about how my parents understand my job and understand journalism. They are huge supporters, um, you know, after I kind of made the move from creative writing to journalism um, and the way they kind of understand my job now. And any brown people who are listening will get it, too, is like they say that I cover companies like Uber before they become Uber. And to them, that's like the best way to phrase it. And And I think that it's it's really fun to convince my parents to to read my work and I take it as a challenge, which is, you know, part of the reason I have a newsletter that I, I write hopefully once a week, not so much recently um, on Substack where I write kind of more general non-tech musings, but embed my pieces there. So people who, you know, maybe aren't in love with with tech or startups yet start to care about it a little bit more. That's pretty cool. And we'll post a link to her Substack uh uh, blog post as well. So you can get a chance to understand the different flavors of writing that Natasha brings to us. Now tell us about mentorship. I know one of your, uh, your key inspirations is Marianne Azevedo. Can you talk a little bit about her? Yeah, I mean, Marianne is such a special person. I worked with her at Crunchbase News, um, and she's now starting her own kind of publication with Thin Ledger. And so I recommend anyone interested in kind of fintech news from a diverse set of journalists to, to follow that out um, and, and look at the amazing work she's doing. Um, but Marianne is, is really special because she brings a sort of hustle and humility that you just don't find super often. Um, she consistently is, you know, very open and vulnerable. And I think like she is one of the people that has helped me really embrace the fact that I am a journalist that kind of brings empathy to my reporting instead of kind of like aggressive scoops. There's room for both. And I want to get to a place where I'm doing the big investigative pieces. But I think journalists like her make a big difference in telling you, listen, empathy is your competitive advantage. That can be your competitive advantage. You don't need to fit this mold of being a journalist that, you know, people are scared to pick up the phone from. Um, and I think that that has gone a really long way when in, in, as I'm early in my career, still trying to figure out my voice. Um, 
And I mean, I think the, the list of, of mentors continues. One of the best mentors um, I, I have um, is, is Mitchell Zakoff, who was my professor at Boston University. And, um, you know, he he did a really good job of teaching you to like interview the person you think makes no sense for the story, but is tangentially related. If you're writing about the CEO of a company, interview the barista that he gets his order or she gets his order from each week. Um, and I think that kind of perspective, it's just like you need people in your life who are going to nerd about, nerd out about the same thing you do. And I think those are like what you need to find in a mentor is someone who like lights up the same way you do when talking about your field. That's very true. And people around the actual person who needs to be interviewed have different perspectives, which give you interesting tidbits on the personality, uh, you know, that is being projected. Totally. I remember when I was covering um, the Massachusetts legalization of marijuana in 2016, um, it was for um, Mitch Olzakoff's class. And he basically was like, yeah, interview anyone you think could talk. And I interviewed, you know, a woman at a duck tour booth, um, and duck tours, for anyone who doesn't know, are kind of like the big ducks that are in Boston that you kind of go in the water and also go on the streets. But she had this amazing perception of, of it. And I thought maybe only I'll interview students or I'll interview people as they leave the voting booths. But I think like, again, I think the role of a journalist is to elevate voices that wouldn't otherwise be heard or could share a perspective that wouldn't otherwise be understood. And so um, I think that was one of the highlight um, stories that I ever wrote, <laughs> even though it was never published. <laughs> you know, that's that's the part of the field, right? Not all stories get to see the limelight, but that's just a way of life. Totally. I think like as I kind of grow my audience, it's giving a good healthy amount of pressure to keep putting out really good work and um, making sure I keep rethinking who who I interview and, and why I'm interviewing them. Is it because they're easy? Is it because they're a lot on Twitter? Hopefully neither of those things. Hopefully they're just people that are smart and are providing um, are saying something that other people um, you know are either unable to say or too scared to. That's very true. And storytelling plays a very key part, right? In terms of highlighting those hidden stories. Totally, totally. Let's take a quick moment to acknowledge some of our guests and their comments as well. We have Nita Jane from New Jersey. Uh, it's an interesting chat, Priyanka and Natasha. Hi, Nita. Welcome to the show. Satya says, hi, Priyanka. Very interesting interview. Keep it up. Thank you. We have Shravanti Anumakonda from New Jersey. Hi, Shravanti. I love all the New Jersey. <laughs> I know. There's a strong uh, suite of supporters for you from New Jersey here. Amit uh, Purswani from Mumbai. Hey, Amit. Anita says she would love the opportunity to get that mentorship. So we already have people queuing up. So to our listeners, again, a wonderful chance to get a free mentoring session with Natasha. So please drop in a quick comment or a question for Natasha as well. So Natasha, let me ask you this. Because of the pandemic, a lot of people are more focused on building their brand in technology, be it like a, you know, a startup CEO, like who Nita Jane is, or some of our listeners who are trying to build their own personal brand. You write great articles. What is one advice you would give to them to put themselves out in the best possible way? Yeah, I think in order to, there's so many ways I could approach this question. Maybe the first would be to have an online presence in some way. While I, I just said I don't like only interviewing the loudest voices on Twitter, I also meet a lot of people who maybe don't have a bunch of followers, but are able to articulate their thoughts clearly on Twitter. And that ends up feeding a lot of my um, coverage and, and who I decide to interview. And so I think if you have something to say, 
you should say it. You should not wait for a journalist to come knocking on your door or for you to get a fun fundraising round or for you to get this, you know, this very elusive like metric of success before you start sharing. Um, I'm a huge supporter and everyone being their own writer. And I think that like I have to empathize with my friends who don't who are all great writers, by the way, but they don't publish because they're scared. And I totally empathize with that. But I do think they're, um, you know, a part of of everyone's trajectory as they're trying to build a personal brand is being a little bit more external and learning to show off about themselves. And I think that that's something that I think is so key when you're building your brand is like just speaking up, publishing, even if it's 200 words and you want to slowly get to 400 words and then maybe 1000 words on a topic um, because you are the only person who can kind of perfectly sum up your mindset. And so I just, my big advice there would be just don't wait to talk, just start talking. That's great advice. And the first step is kind of hard and difficult because you're venturing, it, venturing into the unknown. Yeah. And one of the challenges you have is how would people perceive me? And sometimes it might not be the way you want it to be, but totally. you just have to tell your story. Totally. I think, and I, I, that's, that's so true. I think that I really do feel for people who are nervous about publishing. And, and I think that's why I try and be as open as possible to reading friends' work or, or lifting them up. I just think that you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, that, that same professor in college, he told me that my first 500 stories essentially don't count. They don't, they are not the cream of the crop of my work. And I will consistently be beating myself with each story I write. It just matters how many words I get through my fingers. Um, and one day that story was something I'm super proud of. Now, I think I've written stories I'm really proud of so far, but I think that advice is so key to anyone looking to start vocalizing more is like your first 500 musings first 500 tweets stories whatever's are not going to be life-changing they could be but don't make don't don't try and go in trying to change the world with your first post because i think it takes a lot of effort it takes building up a following over time and it takes like getting people to trust you you have to keep doing good work for people for people to trust you and i think that's what i'm trying to do at TechCrunch while covering early stage in education. And it's what I'm trying to do on my blog as a person in my meetings right now is just like getting people to believe that I have something to say. And then one day, you know, they'll start listening. We all are already listening. <laughs> so tell us about Equity Pod, a podcast that uh, uh, you're leading to help amplify the stories of startups. What's the best part about Equity Pod? Uh, the best part of the equity pod is the co-host and our producer, which is not even a cop out. I love that part of my week. Um, I think we lost Priyanka, but I'm going to keep talking. Um, so equity pod. Okay, great. Equity pod is TechCrunch's weekly podcast about venture capital and startups. And I do it with my colleagues, Alex Wilhelm, Danny Crichton, and Chris Gates. And so we all riff on kind of the biggest startup stories of the week, as I mentioned, and add in our own flavor. And I think it's really fun, um, obviously, to be a diverse part of the show and like just trade notes with like the smartest people I know. Like they are, um, Danny and Alex and Chris are all really great people. Alex was my former boss at Crunchbase. And so it's definitely a, a full circle moment. Um, but I think with Equity Pod, for example, um, I was thrown into that that gig, I think two weeks into joining TechCrunch. And it's been really fun to get more confident as time goes on in my voice. I, I love speaking, but I, I write so often that I usually am not just as comfortable with speaking. And so it's been a really great way to like figure out how to distill my, um, my 100 
million thoughts into a podcast once a week. It just lets me get any extra tidbits I found during the week into a format um, for, for more people because not everyone loves to read and that's okay. And I will happily talk to anyone um, through that podcast once a week. And I feel really lucky that I get you. That's pretty impressive. What's a startup story that you're covering that's very fascinating? Ooh, um, in terms of like a topic or a startup itself? Um, both of it, we'd be curious to know. Yeah, I mean, I think that with I think with with education again, I think the biggest story that I'm interested in pursuing is like this disconnect between parents and founders. Is like they are founders are claiming that they are having these insane surges. Parents are claiming that there's no solutions. And so, like my big challenge as I put together my end of the year coverage is figuring out where the disconnect is, why it's happening. A lot of it's inequities. But I want to, you know, peel back and and see like what parents are really wanting right now. I'm not a parent, but I have parents, and um, I think there are so many questions that I have for uh, people who have kids because they are doing God's work. And I think that even on the outside, it, it, on the outside, it may not seem like a startup story, but I mean, innately, they're selling to to families. And if EdTech ever wants to be successful, it needs to it needs to do that correctly and so you know it's kind of my loophole to get to talk to um people outside of tech and startups to cover that that's pretty impressive now tell me this have you ever had a low moment in your life and how do you handle those low moments oh my gosh i don't know if anyone has ever not had a low moment um i think i think it's it's weird how to process and and understand i would love to tell you that the way i deal with my low moments is by journaling and being super in charge of my mental health but that is not the case um moving home has brought its own sets of challenges just as an extrovert um i am very lucky with my pandemic experience so far touchwood but um as an extrovert i'm i'm just missing that human contact sometimes and so i think the best way that i um you know do self care and and try to lift out of it is just by like asking for help and um i i i get in my head a lot but i i just try and consistently bear my emotions on my sleeves and and trust too hard and even when you i think I will always be someone who will trust too hard and put friends and family on a pedestal instead of being cold and and not believing in, you know, the power of humanity. So I think that like my way of getting through it is just putting more belief in people. It's definitely not always worked out. Like I've definitely been burned by putting people on pedestals, but I think that it has been so worth it to make mistakes um, and have low moments because I get to, you know, have all these warm, warm moments now. That's pretty impressive. And thanks for being vulnerable and sharing, you know, all these highs and lows and how you handle it. Uh, totally. Yeah, I think like I, I say this advice all the time. So anyone who is listening that either reads my blog or follows me on Twitter will tell me to shut up. But I think like the biggest like takeaway of 2020 and just like early 20s in general for me, me being in my early 20s, is that like I am the reason I have, you know, a great community around me, a great job and am healthy. It's not because of anything else. Of course, my parents and my community have like given me the privilege to do so. But in terms of attracting warm people and, and a good life, I think like it's it's what I bring to the table. And I think like the moment you start believing that you're your superpower um, is the moment that you start being, I think, a happier person that depends less on the people around you to, to lift them up. That's pretty cool. We have a question from one of our listeners, Neil Thompson, and he wants to know, 
what are you going to do after the pandemic? Are you looking forward to a move from New Jersey back to the West Coast? Yeah. Um, thanks, Neil. I think I am definitely planning to move back. I don't know when, but um, my boyfriend and best friends all um, are home right now and are hoping to move back to San Francisco um, for, for at least a while. TechCrunch has been really cool with letting me live anywhere, but I think like San Francisco, I'm just not done with it yet. It has been really a great place for me. And so I, I definitely want to come back and I will maybe do like a hybrid living style of like six months in SF, six months in New Jersey with my family. Um, but, you know, to be determined because making plans does not work in 2020. We all have learned a lesson, right? Yeah, exactly. I, w- I was joking. I mean, I, thank God. And I feel for any college student right now, but like, I feel like a lot of my life events have kind of ended for at least a few years is like, I graduated, I got my first job, I moved, I did all these things that required community and required literally moving. Um, And now I can kind of, as much as it can seem like you're wasting your 20s in quarantine, I think it's like, I'd rather waste my 20s in quarantine than waste any other decade, I think. You know, it's interesting to see how uh, the younger generation of millennials look at life. You know, as a millennial myself, I'm more on the, uh, the other side of the curve, thinking of much more like a stable way of living. Uh, I love your go-getter attitude. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, I mean, I'll be real. Like, I do love the idea of like having my own spot and being a stable human. But I do think that like, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I love too many people who don't live in the same damn zip code. And because of that, I have to, you know, my best friend in the whole world lives on the East Coast. She's a She's a med student at Drexel and my parents and my brother is a teacher here. They're all on the East coast, but then I'll, the other half of my hair is on the West coast. So I don't think I'm allowed to be stable. I think I'm going to do both for a while. <laughs> hey, find what makes you happy. That's what you need at the end of the day. Totally. All right. So we have a fun rapid fire on for you. Are you ready for it? I am ready. Let's do it. That's amazing. So you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following and in one word, okay. Role model. Mom. What does happiness mean to you? Community. What does success mean to you? Stories. How do your parents look at your success, if I may ask? Proud, proudly. What is one fun thing about Natasha that you haven't shared with anyone and it's exclusive to our listeners? (laughs) Um, Let me think. Can I use more than one word? Oh, sure. Go okay. It. I think I'm like amazing at making tofu. Like, I know that's not the most creative fact, but I'm so good at making tofu and I'm really proud of it. I think that has been my biggest quarantine glow up is that I can cook tofu and make it taste good that even my carnivore friends will love it. That's amazing. It's, it's nice to see what are the skill sets we can actually <laughs> unveil within ourselves during this pandemic. I know. It's so weird. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like tofu is such an, an inconsequential type of activity to cook, um, but it means the world to me now because everything has to mean the world to you when you have such a smaller world. I know. Very true. What is your native language and one word to describe yourself in it? My native language is English. And I think I am very verbose. I talk a lot, as I'm sure everyone has learned today. And, um, you know, I can, I can keep talking about something if you make me. That's pretty amazing. That brings us to the end of the show. So I'm going to quickly ask you, tell us your experience being on Curry Up Startup Podcast. What do you like about the podcast and why should people listen to it? Yeah, no, Priyanka, thank you for such thoughtful questions. I think... Um, 
the you, you know you brought some awesome perspective and i think kind of the reason people should listen to curry up startup podcast is it's at least a chance to to get to know about someone who's outside of your current network um, it doesn't mean you have to like me or even be best friends with me, even though I welcome more friends. But I think it's always cool to like, again, humanize people um, for no reason other than why not and and to learn about a profession other than your own. So thank you for letting me kind of share my, my tips and tricks and thoughts, um, especially being so young in my career. Um, I'm appreciating that you, you know, think I have something worth listening to. Absolutely. You're a rising star at TechCrunch. And uh, it was such an honor for me to reach out to you and uh, it was so interesting to our listeners just behind the scenes. Natasha reached out to me almost a year ago and she said, I was very new to the podcasting space back then. I had done almost like 10 episodes or so. And she was like, I love the fabulous content you put together to amplify Asian voices. So since then, we've been in touch. And now we are at 58 episodes live wow. streaming. And here you go. Natasha has always been a great cheerleader for us. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it is so great to see a focus on on South Asians, um, especially in the world of startups and tech. Um, you see like the really high up C-suite executives, but um, it really does warm my heart whenever I get to meet another a fellow brown person in tech and just like learn what brought them here because this is not an easy world to navigate and it's not picture perfect or even super, you know, fitting into what our culture defines as success. And so um I very much am here to to keep listening to the stories of other Asians who have defied odds and joined the crazy world and unstable world of startups. And thank you. And we welcome you to the Karib Startup Podcast family, where we have such amazing guests who continue to break barriers and empowering the Asian community. Thanks so much, Priyanka. This was great. Awesome. So before I let you go, we have to announce the winner of our free mentoring session. Are you ready for it, Natasha? Yes, I am here to mentor as much as I can as a 24-year-old. <laughs> you know, mentoring breaks barriers in terms of age, ethnicity, culture, and there's reverse mentoring, right? You always learn from each other. So totally. what a wonderful way to do this. All right, so let's see who that lucky winner is. I'm going to give it to Nita Jain, who's also a startup founder, and she would love your mentorship and can benefit from it. So... How about Nita, Jane? Awesome. Yeah, Nita, feel free to DM me on LinkedIn. I hate DMs on LinkedIn, but I'll make an exception for you. Um, and we can set up a time to chat uh, maybe next week or something. Awesome. Thank you so much, Natasha. Really appreciate that. And Nita, I'm going to connect you offline with Natasha as well. So you get Perfect. a chance to get that mentoring session and do let us know your feedback on your key takeaways from the mentoring sessions as well. Uh, Natasha, any parting thoughts to listeners? Like one advice when you look at your 25-year-old self, you want to change something when you look back at your life so far, which could be a parting thought for us? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just to believe that you have something to say that no one else can say because no one else is you. And even if you don't have the perfect words right now in this exact moment, if you start speaking out loud, you'll get there eventually. Um, and so I very much urge you to start speaking up. Thank you, Natasha, for those kind words. And congratulations again, Nita Jain, for winning that free mentorship. To all our other listeners, do continue to stay connected to Karib Startup Podcast by following me, Priyanka Komla. If you're on LinkedIn, just go ahead, follow, or our Karib Startup Podcast page so you get to know our LinkedIn live shows and also get a chance to meet with this wonderful community of guests and also receive specials as we go forward. If you're tuning on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe icon so you can stay tuned on our upcoming episodes as well. And hit that like or share or your comments uh, for your comments on Twitter and other social media platforms as well. 
Until another episode, which is going to happen next week, this is your host, Priyanka Komla, signing off from Karib Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight world-class Asian leaders, C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, and rising stars like Natasha to, to get inspired from their personal journey. And this is your host again, signing off. Have a wonderful rest of the day.